Hey, welcome to the C3 Auckland podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, head to c3church.org.nz. We hope you enjoy this message. And um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you come with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Uh, This is our teaching text this morning. I'm going to read it out, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. It's going to be amazing. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I'm reading out of the ESV. This is what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Everyone say, mercies of God. Yes, the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just have a time of prayer. Let's pray together, and then we're gonna get into the word this morning. Father, we just thank you. Lord, like Pastor Matt was saying, God, for this gathering here today, Lord, we thank you that uh, New Zealand has led the world in so many areas, including ministry, for so many years. And once again, we find ourselves in an incredible position, Father, where we are able to gather despite the fact that so many of our brothers and sisters in the world cannot. Father, I pray that every single believer, every single Christian in Aotearoa, Father, that they would realize that that's not uh, by accident. Father, that you've called us to be a leader in this time. Father, let us be those that fill our churches. Let us be those that engage with the, the kingdom work, Father. God, I thank you that whatever's happened in 2020, Lord, we thank you that we can have hope in 2021, not just because the date has changed on the calendar, but because in Jesus' name, you promise us that our lives will go from glory to glory to glory. We thank you that even though the world has its challenges, you promise us, Jesus, that we should take heart because you have overcome the world. So Father, we just commit this time to you. We thank you that you will sustain us, God, by your holy power. And Lord, just like you sustain us, Lord, we pray that you would sustain the Black Caps, help them to stay on top of the Test Match rankings in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Awesome, there's a few cricket fans here clapping. I love you, let's watch it together sometime. Awesome. Hey, well, the title of my message here this morning is called Transcore. Uh, That's the title of my message. For those of you that are uh, real Christians and taking notes, that's a joke, I'm just joking, but seriously, you should take notes. Uh, So the title of my message is Transcore, and the reason it's called Transcore is because there's a a pretty famous story in our church, actually, which some of you might not be aware of, but uh, a long time ago, before Pasadena and Fiona were our senior pastors, they were the youth pastors of our church, and at that time, our church didn't really have a youth ministry, so they had to get a team, they had to make a plan, and they also had to come up with a name for a youth ministry, which is actually quite a hard thing to do, because you have to toe the line between, like, radical and cheesy, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to get you to lift your hands, but all of us can give some examples, right, of some cheesy youth ministry names. So they had to, like, do this. And so what happened is it came right down to the crunch when it was Pasadena and this other person, and they were doing a brainstorm. And Pasadena, being as the cool creative uh, leader he is, he said, yeah, I think we should call it primal youth. You know what I mean? Primal youth. Let's call it primal youth, going back to the roots of Christianity. And the other person, their suggestion was transcore. Because they were like, yeah, let's like take all these youth and let's transform them to the core. Awesome. And uh, hey, come on, who's grateful that Pastor Dean won the battle and uh, we now have primal youth? Come on, all you teenagers. Thank God for that. Amen. Let's all go to Transcore Getaway Camp. Awesome. Fantastic. Anyway, we find ourselves, don't we, church, in a very, very cool time and place where we are all 
uh, in some way, shape, or form, no doubt, going through some sort of transformation process. Uh, who's been to the gym recently? Has anyone been to the gym? Who, who's like, annoyed about the fact that it's like packed out? Every January, the place is absolutely jammed. I, I, I reckon some of you, next time you go to the gym, you should take a picture of it and then take another picture in August in the dog days of winter and the place will be absolutely empty. But, you know, in January, it's like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to transform my body. I'm going to transform myself. You know what I mean? I'm going to stop presenting my body on the altar of KFC and I'm going to present my body on the altar of fitness. You know, like that's, that's the sort of season we're in right now, isn't it? We all want to transform something in our lives. We want to pick up a new hobby, you know, or we want to learn a language, or we want to do all these things, all these resolutions that usually don't work, the psychologist would say. But, it, but regardless, we all do this stuff, right? We all think, now's the time. Now's the time we can transform. And to be honest, we all love a good transformation story, don't we? You know what I mean? We all do. We love a transformation story. We love the story of, you know, like Stephen Rogers getting injected with that stuff and becoming Captain America, or Peter Parker getting bitten by that spider, and becoming Spider-Man, and you know, we love these sorts of stories. We're over the Batman one, though, aren't we? Because we've seen it so many times, and DC movies are crap. But anyway, no, so we love these transformation stories. We love stories of, you know, the rags to riches story. We love these sorts of transformation stories because there's something about it that appeals to us, isn't there? There's something about it that appeals to our humanity, our humanhood. We think, yes, like there's more. There's more for me. I can transform. Um, one of my favorite uh, TV series growing up was actually The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, was anyone else a fan of that? Oh, yeah, cool. Awesome. I loved that show. I loved it because it was the story of this, you know, sort of hood basketball gangster kid whose name was actually Will Smith in the, in the show as well as real life. Uh, and uh, he, he gets transported and sent to his rich relatives in Bel-Air, California. And over the course of all those seasons, you see this transformation taking place real subtly where Will, Will sort of grows up a bit and goes to college and and sort of gets a little bit more mature and things like that. But also the family changes as well. So the family changes him, but he also changes the family, and they sort of loosen up a bit and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and we love these stories, don't we, church? We love them. But can I just say that actually God has a deeper purpose for our lives when it comes to this whole idea of transformation. Did you see God is committed to transforming you? Right? And literally, like there is a song we sing in church where the line is literally, if I'm not dead, you're not done. And actually, that is so true. If you, are, if you woke up this morning, God has a purpose for your life to transform you. But He's not trying to transform you into like the best version of you, He's not trying to transform you to look like you know, like one of the like, leaders here in the church, although we would all like to look like Pastor Matt a bit more, wouldn't we, guys? But anyway, we, we, it's, not, it's not about that. We all, we, God is transforming us into the image of his son, Jesus. That is his purpose for your life. That is my purpose, that's your purpose, that's all of our purpose. God is wanting to transform us. You see, when they asked Michelangelo, who sculpted that very famous um, sculptor of David, like, hey, how did you do that? Do you know what he said? He said, I looked into the marble and I saw you know, my sculpture, I saw the masterpiece on the inside of it, and I just begin to chip away at everything that didn't resemble the masterpiece. And you see, that is exactly what God is doing with us. He looks into us, and he doesn't see us where we're at. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the image of Christ on the inside of you, and he starts to chip away, chip, 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 chip away until you are formed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
right? And sometimes that chipping is a little bit painful. Sometimes it's annoying, like, God, like, you know, like, really? Are you going to hit me up about that? Like, you know, so-and-so does it. Why can't I get road rage? Leave me alone, Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? It's like patience, you know? I once prayed for the fruit of patience, but it took too long, so I gave up. You know, like, like it's like, oh, man, God, really? But that's what he's trying to do in our lives. You see, the Greek word for transformation is the word metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis from. You know, like the little caterpillar, you know, that's actually going through the process of wrapping itself in this cocoon, and it transforms into this butterfly. You know what I mean? You might say, Zach, I just feel like this little worm. Well, God's created you to be a butterfly. On the inside of you, there's the ability to fly. You just gotta go through a process and, and get transformed, okay? All of us are called to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. And, like, and just like how God wants to transform us as individuals, did you know that God wants to actually collectively transform us as a people? Okay, so just like how you're being transformed and God's like got a specific transformation that he wants you to do, God's got a transformation for our church to do, right? Um, if you want a church that's like really stable and solid and hardly anything really happens and it's just the same old people every day doing the same old things, uh, may I just humbly submit to you that this possibly, potentially, slightly in a kind way may not really be the church for you <laughs> because we're not, we're not that church, do you know what I mean? When I joined this church in 2004, it looked so different to this. It really, really did, right? Because, and, and, and one of the big reasons for that is because we're blessed with amazing, incredible leaders like Pastor Dean and Fiona, Pastor Matt, a whole bunch of senior leaders that steer our church, and we are always wanting more out of God. We know there's more for us. Does that make sense? So that requires a transformation because you can't have it both ways. You're like, I want everything to stay the same, but then I want my, our church as well to do all these incredible things. No, no, no. Like that is literally the definition of insanity, doing the same thing again, expecting a different outcome. There's things we have to change in order for us to get to that big picture. Is this making sense? You see, because we get an example of this with the book of um, Exodus, where God literally takes a people group, a people of God, has chosen people, the Israelites, and he takes them out of their place of bondage and slavery into a promised land. Because you see, God used Moses to get his people out of Egypt, but then he had to use the desert to get, his, to get Egypt out of his people. Let me say that again. God used Moses to take his people out of Egypt, but then he had to use the desert to get Egypt out of his people. Why? Because they were still living like slaves. They still had a slavery mindset. They grumble about the food and they go, let's go back and be slaves in Egypt because that's better than eating sand sandwiches. Like, let's get out of here, Moses. You know the whole incident with the golden calf, you know, that a lot of us would have read? That seems so silly to us. Like, what are you doing? Like, there's the presence of God on the mountain. Why are you making a golden cow? Like, what's that gonna do for you? No, you see, that is a slavery mindset because in Egypt, that's what you did. If you wanted to control something, you made an idol or a god and you deified it and you prayed to it and you bowed down and you said, please help us. So actually, there's more going on in that story than meets the eye. You see, God wants to transform us and he wants us to go through a process to be transformed as individuals and as a collective community. Is this making sense? Now, one of the reasons why we're talking about servanthood is because servanthood is one of the means in which Jesus transforms us. Okay, because we've already talked about, right? We've already established that God wants to make us more like Jesus. One of, the, one of the ways that God wants us to do that is to step into servanthood. Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate servant. He was. We can't, be, we can't take on Jesus' other characteristics without starting from a place of going, 
I need to imitate his humility. I need to imitate his servanthood. And scripture is clear about this. In Matthew, 28, in Matthew 20, verse 28, and in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus literally said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 13, we read about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Even Judas, who he knew was going to stab him in the back and betray him. Like, that is ultimate servanthood, isn't it? I don't know about you. I don't like feet. I barely clean my own. No, just, <laughs> I do. But my feet are gross, you know? And Jesus cleaned his disciples' feet. Incredible. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7. This really wraps it up. If you, have, if you don't believe me by now, then check this out. This is what it says about Jesus. Who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself as becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, this is our Messiah. This is our Savior who we're called to follow, amen? And so when we talk about servanthood, man, it's so not recruitment. It's so not like filling rosters on planning center. It's so not about like free labor, although it is cheaper than um, paid labor. But like it's not about any of those things. It's about us helping you step into that transformation process of becoming more like Christ. Does that make sense? Is this, is this helping anybody? Good, fantastic. Okay, well, let's dive back into this verse and let's talk about, first of all, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Right, so I want to talk about this whole concept of the mercies of God. You see, in the ESV, it says there, the mercies of God. And that's like really what it's all about. You see, the ESV, for those of you that don't know, it stands for the extremely superior version. No, jokes, that's a joke. Um, but some of you, you probably, you're reading out of the NIV, which stands for the nearly inspired version. No, jokes. So anyway, in the NIV, in the NIV, it says the mercy of God, which is fine, but actually in the original Greek, it's plural, mercies. Do you know why? Because the mercy of God is multifaceted. You will never graduate from understanding the gospel. And if you have, let me just submit to you, go humbly back to that place of the cross and meditate it and think about it one more time. Because you can come at it from different angles, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you do something silly, like you, you have a fight with your parents, and then you realize Jesus died for that sin, you know? And then maybe you, you get married, and you realize that Jesus loves you the way that you love this other person. Or then you have kids, and you realize, what? Jesus gave up his son for me. I have a son, or I have a child. What the heck is going on? You know what I mean? Like you will never, ever... If you, if you meditate and you humbly submit to Christ and you reflect on the mercies of God, the many multifaceted areas of the gospel, you will never ever graduate from the cost. We should spend all of our lives constantly in awe of what Jesus did for us, amen? So we should never graduate from that place. And you see, the reality is, that's our, that is our starting point when it comes to servanthood. When you think about Jesus, when you think about his life, his example to us all, we can become, we should and we can become so awestruck that we can't help but do something. Does that make sense? When you think about Jesus, the way he served us, the way he loved us, the way he forgave us, isn't that then our call to imitate that lifestyle and to say, you know what, I can do something here. I can serve. I can become part of the answer. I can be part of the team that is the church and serve like Jesus did. You see, because Right before that, it says, like, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, here's a real, like, sort of Bible reading hack for all of you. 
Whenever you read a therefore in the Bible, the really important question you should ask yourself is what is that therefore, therefore? Write that down. You know, so you should ask that. Like, what's it there for? Why is that there for? Because obviously what that means is there's a bunch of stuff before, right? And so in Romans 11, what you'll read about is you'll read about how we as Gentiles have been grafted in to the people of God, that Jesus' blood means that we can then step into the inheritance that originally was only stored up for the Hebrews, for the Jews, for the chosen people of God. So let me tell you, C3, the 10 a.m. Ellerslie, you are chosen from God. You are a chosen people. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, conquering of death has made a way for you to be grafted in, to inherit all of these spiritual blessings that have come to you. See, there's so many amazing benefits. Most of Romans is all about the superiority of the new covenant, the new testament to the old, right? That's what most of Romans is all about. We're gonna talk about that later on. But anyway, with that in mind, church, isn't it the most logical, rightful thing to do, to be thankful and then to serve? Oh, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Hey, do you want to jump on the serving team? Nah, nah, that's not for me. Hey, awesome, thank you so much, Jesus. I'm saved, delivered, going to heaven for all eternity, you know, blessed with peace in this life, and it's fantastic. Hey, do you want to, you, like, do you want to make some coffees for us? Oh, nah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't so, sort of compute, does it? It doesn't quite make sense. And so when we think about servanthood, we need to come back to the gospel as all things. Is that good? Yeah. Awesome. Now, let's move on. And it says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I love this. This is, this is awesome. Okay, so when it comes to us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, I think one of the barriers to servanthood is that we think our gift is not that important. We sort of think, oh, you know, servanthood, that's for all those like super spiritual people, you know, all those like Christian celebrities, which by the way, shouldn't, I don't think, really be a thing, you know, we should sort of stop that whole thing. That's weird. You know, there's too many Christian celebrities that like let the team down. You know, it's not about like you're important and you might be thinking, well, Zach, that's like, you know, big for you to say because you're standing up there with this like microphone thing. But honestly, let me tell you, None of this happens without all of you doing your thing, right? This doesn't come on. I don't know how to turn this on. I'm like technologically impaired. It's a condition. Read up on it. You know, like it doesn't happen without the team. Doesn't, this church doesn't stay open without people that generously give. Like, like the kids don't get looked after unless there's a team out there under Pastor Estelle. You see, all of these roles and areas are important and vital. And if you diminish them or you think some are more important than others, that's the world's thinking coming into the church. That's not what the Bible says. Every single one of us have an important part to play in, in creating this beautiful place called the house of God where people can come in and experience God. You see, one of the best things Pastor Dean has ever taught me, and I know a bunch of others, is to just keep turning up, right? To keep being here. And it's actually such a good truism. It really is. And because the Bible literally says, what does it say? Present your bodies. Some people say, oh, you know, cool, conference, Zach, that's awesome. You know, I'll be with you guys in the spirit. And I'm like, yeah, but you should register and get your body here as well. You know, like, it's just like, it doesn't, because that's the thing, it doesn't take any effort. I mean, well, it does, but it doesn't take any talent to be here. It doesn't. You just have to be here. You have to, like, walk out your, your, your door and, and sort of turn on the, you know, or, like, push the button if you go on one of those flash cars, you know, and sort of get out here and then open the door again and then, like, oh, big step. I'm stepping into the unknown. Oh, I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we want to create in all of us, a sense of engagement, a sense of togetherness. Hey, we're all here. We're all doing this stuff. That's why conferences are awesome. You know what I mean? We're not running them because we're bored. 
Honestly, all the C3 stuff, put your hand up if you're bored. See, none of us are bored. We're not like got nothing to do, but we're doing it because we want to create a space for all of us to have that sense of connection and togetherness. Does that make sense? And the reason why Paul is using this imagery of living sacrifice is because he's deliberately going back to the Old Testament. Because you see, in the Old Testament, when you sacrificed, you had to get an animal, you had to kill that thing, which is awful, because a lot of you here love animals, you know? Um, and yet you know, it, was, it was like a bloody affair. And I don't mean like that, like I mean literally bloody affair, like blood everywhere. And it was like carnage, you know what I mean? And so in the Old Testament, the, the inferior sacrifice was a dead animal, you see? So in the Old Testament, sacrifices are dead. But you see, in the New Testament, sacrifices are superior. Why? Because they're alive. They're living, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And that's what we need to do. In true Pauline fashion, Paul is trying to just highlight and illuminate just one more thing about the New Testament that makes us superior to the old. Are you following me? Awesome, fantastic. Okay, and then it says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, don't count yourself out. Don't discredit yourself. Don't say, oh, I'm not good enough to serve or I'm not good enough to get amongst it here at C3. You totally are. Okay, that is a lie from the enemy that would say, you know, I can, I can serve, I can, I can be part of the C3 team, but I'm not worthy, you know, I'm not worthy. Because it's not yourself that makes you worthy, it's Jesus himself. Jesus is the one that makes you, your sacrifice, holy and acceptable. We don't serve for our identity, we serve from our identity. We don't serve for our identity, we serve from our identity. Because that's when church gets a little bit funky, you know what I mean? You're like vacuuming and one of the pastors walks past you and you're like, oh, this church sucks. They didn't say hi to me. But it's like, you see, because what? Because if you're doing it to get the recognition from people, then really that's not biblical servanthood. Because you're, when you're serving, you're turning up and you're saying, I'm loved by God. I remember Jesus on the cross. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the king. And it's a joy and a privilege to come here and to serve. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. Do you know that little phrase right there will help you through any of the trials and challenges that will come your way in life? If you just switch it and say, you know, I don't have to go to work. No, I get to go to work. There's so many people that would love to have my job. You know, I don't have, I I have to look after my kids. No, no, you get to look after your kids. There are so many people that would love to have children. Do you know what I mean? If you just change that slight little thinking around and say, no, I get to do this. I get to do this, you know. Oh, I have to like, work for the church. No, no, I get to work for the church. It's fantastic. We have a lot of fun. We get a lot done, but we have a lot of fun here. It's fantastic. And so guys, let's be those people that present holy and acceptable um, sacrifices to God. I've got to keep moving here. Okay. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh man, this is so important. Okay. So the reason why we have to preach on servanthood, the reason why our church wants to spend a good month preaching and talking about it, revealing it out of Scripture, is because servanthood is incredibly countercultural. It is the most countercultural thing, I would argue, one of the most countercultural things any of us can do in this life, amen? Because all of us, literally from birth, are preached at, aren't we? You know, be self-obsessed, be self-absorbed, look out for number one. You know, and we glorify these people who are self-made, self-reliant, self-sufficient, you know, and we tolerate people in our society that are self-obsessed and, and selfish, you know what I mean? Isn't this, is this true? It's totally true, right? We, 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 this is how, this is the world we're born into. And so if you don't have a renewal of your mind, if you don't get a revelation of Jesus on the cross, if you don't 
come to a place of recognizing that in order for you to step into a place of servanthood and being effective for the kingdom, I need a brain transplant, so to speak, not a literal one, but a spiritual renewal of my mind because it won't come natural to you. It doesn't come natural to me. It doesn't come natural to anybody, okay? And that's why we need to be not conformed, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And church, let me tell you this, okay? Maybe if the um, band can come help me out here. See, let me tell you this. When the world is at its worst, that's an opportunity for the church to be at its best. It really, really is. The church right now, we have a golden opportunity to usher in a move of God that your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids will talk about. They, they will say, you know, there was this thing that happened all those years ago, this thing called COVID, and, and all the stuff started happening around racism and political uncertainty and economic uncertainty. There was all this terrible stuff going on. But do you know what happened? The church started to rise up. And they prayed, and they served, and they weren't conformed to the ways of this world. They were transformed, and they were an alternative community. The world does not need the church to be an echo of what it's saying. When the, church, when the world is freaking out, the church should be preaching peace. When the world is preaching div- division and hatred, we should be preaching radical unity and radical grace. Because when the world is at its darkest, that's when we can be at our brightest. Amen? We can be. And church, it's not going to take, it's not going to be about us just like being incredible or awesome or anything like that. Because, man, I've had this revelation this week, actually, even in prepping for this. I used to think, man, all we need to do is we just need to get the teachings of Jesus out there. And it sort of makes sense because that's my bent. I love the teachings of Christ. I love studying them and meditating about them. I used to think, man, that's all we need. We just need the teachings of Christ to go out, you know? Or there's maybe others of you and you think, man, we just need the miracles of God. We need people going out and like running over water and casting out demons and healing the sick and all that stuff. And by the way, those things are fine. But do you know what I've more realized, actually? Do you know what the world needs now more than all, ever? We need the humility of God. We need the servanthood of God. We need to humbly show the world in a powerful, world-shaking way that Christians are here to serve. We're here to be humble examples to our world. Do you know what I mean? That's what the world needs now. Amen? That's what the world needs. That's what it's crying out for. That's what it's aching for. Sunday, the Sunday gathering of the church. This is not like the the pinnacle, by the way. This is just like team huddle. Do you know when ministry starts? It happens tomorrow. Not tomorrow, it's a public holiday. Bad example. It happens on Tuesday, normally Monday, when you turn up to work and you bring the love of Christ. Do you know I used to be the youth pastor at this church? And it was way more obvious for me when I used to talk to the teenagers. Some of you like Megan and stuff will remember. I used to tell the teenagers furiously. I used to say, guys, you're it. You're the example of Jesus for your high school. Because if I turn up to your school unannounced tomorrow, especially if you go to Epsom Girls Grammar School, if I turn up in my car and start talking to people, I'm going to go to jail and do prison ministry from the inside. So I used to tell them, you're it. You're it, right? I used to say, you're the ones. You've got to take the gospel out. You've got to preach. You've got to serve. You've got to show people the love of Christ. And now that I think about it, actually, it's not any different, right? Like, it's not up to us as the staff or as the pastors. It's, it's on to you. On Mondays, you're, you need to go. Be the light of Christ. Humbly serve. Humbly 
build whatever business you're building. Say, boss, whatever you need, I'm here for you. I want to build this thing. I want to shine the light of Christ. And then one by one, slowly but surely, the world will start to pay attention. When all the world is going to, you know, it's like a dumpster fire out there. They'll look at the church and they'll say, hey, what's up with that community? They're thriving. We're all like being racist and they're multicultural and loving it. What's going on over there? You know what I mean? We're all freaking out about the economy. They're all good. What is that about? Does that make sense? And that's why servanthood is so important because church, when we serve, that's when we're at our best. When we serve, I'm gonna try it on this side because no, you guys are great. When we serve, that's when we're at our best, church. Amen? Okay. And then I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of grace, so I'm going to give you a chance. When we serve, that's when we're at our best. Awesome. Yes. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more about our church or to find out what's coming up, check out c3church.org.nz.